0: right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com and hosted on the Beautiful Game Network. This is podcast number 310. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to one of the players on the national team, the U.S. national team, who was part of the first pair of sisters to play on the U.S. national team. And that would be Lori Fair who played at North Carolina, a midfielder, who in her first year with the U.S. women played 310 minutes. And Lori's sister, Ronnie, also earned her first cap in 1997. So they were the first pair of sisters to play on the national team together. And of course, Christy Mewis, Sam Mewis, the muI Mewi, as we can say, second pair of sisters. All right, two chats this week. First, had a great chat with Danielle Russell of Kansas City Blue Crew, the supporters group from the previous era of Kansas City Woso. They're still around, and they are so happy that Woso is coming back to Kansas City. Uh, so Danielle and I talked a lot about what it's been like this last week. Um, talked a lot about you know the how Kansas City is is and has been. A really great soccer city uh, just hadn't found the right owners, the right situation for a team, and it looks like they have now. And then I had a really long chat um, with Rich Laverty, freelance writer, writes for The Guardian, Our Game, lots of different publications based in the UK, so covers a lot of European soccer. We had meant to spend the entire segment talking about Women's Champions League and the FAWSL and qualifying for the Women's Euro, but we kind of got off on a tangent about NWSL and the U.S. national team and, and other topics. But I think it ended up being a much better chat, and I hope you guys... All enjoy it. And of course, in the middle of those two chats, there's a Gen segment. This one talks about the difference between FIFA and FIFA Pro. And last but not least, um, I'm have an auction going, a charity auction going on eBay for jersey masks, or rather, face masks made of Nike World Cup soccer jerseys. And of the sales from those masks will benefit Soccer Without Borders directly. There are 42 masks up for auction made from USA, Netherlands, England, France, and Australia Nike jerseys from the 2019 Women's World Cup. Not game-worn jerseys, just jerseys that were that style. And the auctions end midday Tuesday, so get your bids in now. And i got to give a shout-out, of course, to footy masks for making these masks for me from these jerseys uh be sure to check out footy masks on etsy and don't forget to follow me on twitter at keeper notes and at mix Zone. as always two x's in mix Zone. Right, Jen Cooper the Keeper here with Danielle Russell, the media director for the KC Blue Crew, the supporters group that has remained faithful all this time, Danielle. And three years later, you got your team back. How does that yeah. feel?
1: Oh, it feels great. Uh you know, I had been hearing stuff for a while since uh probably late spring, and we knew it was a possibility uh, a couple weeks ago, but still something on Saturday when you heard that. Um, it was instant serotonin. It was just like my whole body was just like, ah, I don't know what to do with all this happiness. So that's great. And
0: well, and I think we've all learned over the years, uh, especially those of us who have followed NWSL or before NWSL, the, the other leagues, that like – you know, don't go all in on a rumor until you see the official announcement, right? Yes. Because, because you can get burned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so like the first little hint I saw, I'm like, that's intriguing. But then I just let it let it le- leave my head. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw the official, I was like, damn, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. That's amazing. You know, um, so of course one of my first thoughts for this week, I was like, I need to talk to, <laughs> I need to talk <laughs> to the blue crew. Um, and as, as you remembered before I did, you were the one, um, that I spoke to, um, what, what, probably four years ago, maybe five years ago, yeah, five, um, six, uh, you know, maybe. yeah, uh, you know, on, on the podcast. So I was like, perfect. You know, just like the team is going full circle, you know, we're going full circle. Um, but let's go back to, to the end of 2017, three years ago when um, you know, they, the league had to announce despite having brought in a new owner uh, for, for Casey that, You know, they were folding the team and they had managed to get, you know, Utah to basically pick up what was the team. Uh, But what was that like for you? I I mean, you guys were such a faithful group, um, especially I I thought it was such an interesting mix of like Kansas City is a great soccer city. You can't argue that. But it was obvious that the management for FC, KC, Mm -hmm was not a great management team yeah. um you know some of the things I heard in terms of you know office the front office workers a lot of them were hourly rate uh, you know where it's, it's like that's you know not a good way to run things um, yeah. you know all, all that kind of stuff, but you guys were so loyal and I remember you know seeing um Kansas City people travel to the twenty fifteen I final that was the first one that was at a you know a preset venue and I remember seeing one fan at the hotel I was at a Kansas City fan where he was so excited that like Kansas City you guys won and then I think the next day was uh sporting Cup, KC, right? was, yeah Sporting KC winning the Open Cup you know um and just this kind of and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's like the little club that could, right? Yeah. That it, that it that it's like, fine. These other management things aren't working well, but hell, you hired the man who is now our U.S. national team coach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and I remember those early uh, allocations. You know, the club getting Lauren Cheney, who became Lauren Holiday, Becky Sarber, and Nicole. Barnhart and you know this perception of like oh well those aren't the the names right but like but look what that club did yeah you know totally swept the 2013 uh, league awards Um, I'm gonna put a post up about that on keeper notes but so give me a little little background on how Blue Crew came together right because for a a team that didn't have, for a supporters group that didn't have much support beyond themselves, it seems like you guys were a pretty strong presence.
1: Yeah. um, The story our founder likes to tell, and I think it's true, but I'll just say I can't confirm it, is we were the first NWSL supporters group. Uh, Kat had created it right after the team was announced. So we were there from the very beginning. Um, It just was a couple of people. And, you know, try to get friends to come. I ended up coming, um, starting to come to games after moving back home in 2014. And I remember that season, you know, we went on to win the championship, but there'd be games early on where there'd be four of us. But we kept, you know, coming to games, trying to build up. Um, And actually by 2017, we had our best year in terms of numbers. And I think that was our first year we actually did paid membership. And we had the most members. We just continued to try to grow organically, even though maybe the management went the opposite way <laughs> with stuff. Um, and I think it was, you know, enthusiasm and support for the team, whether it was, you know, uh, those years we won the t- title or the years that we didn't quite get there. Um, it was basically, I think, something you said, we were kind of the little supporter group who could.
0: Well, and I think it's so interesting when I started to look back at the players who played, you know, at at, at Kansas City, um, so many of them are in kind of influential roles now uh, beyond the soccer field. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got Amy LaPelbit, you know, at at, well, you know, she she served as Utah coach this fall. You've got Becca Moros assistant coach at sky blue you've got becky Sauerbrunn kind of in charge of the u.s women's national team players association right like there's Mm -hmm. there's so much so much history there Um, and of course as we mentioned vlog (laughs) konanowski is now the the national team coach no big deal Um, so so losing all of that you know i i can't imagine that heartbreak i don't want to imagine that heartbreak i just know what it's like to wait for a really long time to you know Finally have a team in your city, did you think you know women's soccer would ever return to kansas city and and what were the what were the local actions to try to bring it back
1: um like you said um you know the heartbreak that was associated with losing the team was I would not wish that upon anyone uh my heart's breaking for uh, Utah fans right now because I know exactly what they're going through um so we actually spent three years where like we we, we want to keep a presence because soccer is so important in Kansas City, not just with Sporting KC. Um, you have WPSL teams um, that Hugh well, you know, Hugh was uh, coaching one. You have the youth leagues. You have stuff like that. So we didn't want to go away, but we knew that it was kind of diff- going to be different. Um, and we knew we just kind of had to wait. And so we figured we'd have to wait some time but maybe our day would come again. Did not think it would only be in three years. Uh, Definitely thought there was a lot of people ahead of us. Turns out that uh, there was some good people down in the city who really wanted a team and pushed that ahead. But I I did not think it would be this quick. Even uh, earlier in the spring, I started hearing uh, talk and I was like, no way, no don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, she needs to quit talking to this person who's just going to get her help. you know, stuff like that. So.
0: (laughs) Well, and of course, I can totally identify with the feeling of finding out late in the year that suddenly you will have a team and not only a team, but a team in the next few months. Yeah. Right. So. So not a okay. Soccer's coming back to Kansas City and in 18 months we'll kick off. No, you are guys you guys are effectively replacing the team that replaced you. <laughs> um, bringing back Hugh Williams, who was the team general manager before, the man who hired Vlad Andonovski. now he's going to be coach. Um, and what I really love is the story of the local owners. Um, mm-hmm. One, that it's that it's separate from MLS. So it's not, again, we're not building this league that is, that is dominated by uh, clubs that also have an MLS team. Not that that's necessarily bad, but I think it's, you want to keep it a mix of owners. Like I like that we have a mix of independent owners, owners with an MLS club, owners with a USL club, right? So it, it kind of, it brings a good balance to it. So tell me what you know about the Longs and also Brittany Matthews. Like, I love it. It's like, it's local people with money saying, I want to put, you know, my money where my soccer is.
1: Yeah, so... I told you that earlier in the spring is when I first heard rumblings, and then about a month ago is when I was like, "Oh no, there's actually rumors uh, true to that," and so I kind of figured out was the Longs because I'm really good at the internet and sleuthing that way. <laughs> and uh, it seems really cool, like um, you know, people who were on Wall Street and wanted to go back to Kansas City, and they were season ticket holders. They knew the team. They knew Cat by name, um, or capo slash. Um, founder. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I kind of looked up, you know, after, after the last owner, um, I kind of wanted to be like, all right, let me look this up and make sure they're okay. Thing, And they seemed really genuine, which is nice. Um, and then, like you said, Brittany, who, um, for those of you who do not know is, um, Patrick Mahomes' fiance. Um, they're, Going to get married here soon. And she actually played uh, college and professional soccer. And they are basically royalty in Kansas City. Um, You know, obviously, Patrick for what he's done, but both of them for what they've done with the community. Um, People just really like them, love them. And so having them there and having, um, uh, bringing in uh, majority female ownership, uh, not just um, Angie and Brittany, but then also Jen. Um, who's the president, an owner and president. And, uh, she, you know, I just talked to her briefly. She emailed us on Monday, but she seems like a great person to have there. Um, so I, I feel like I just ranted for some reason and went (laughs) on. No, you didn't. Okay. (laughs) What was the original question. Um, but having these people, oh yeah, the local stuff, but having these people who are local, who obviously really care about Kansas city. And I think that's a big thing. We've seen owners in the past who aren't local, who don't really care. Um, but to have people who love the city, but then also have people who want to be in the league. Um, I've really enjoyed the past couple of days reading about how the Longs, um, you know, have reached out and are friends with um, Julie from the L.A. team. And they're like, we want to do a new approach to ownership and all this. And it just seems really cool, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and I do like that the majority, um, female ownership isn't a token thing. Um, I have, I have seen in business, not just soccer, but in business, well, it's like, Oh, we're a majority woman owned where that's actually a husband wife partnership. And technically, um, you know, by government standards that, that counts as, you know, woman Mm -hmm. owned, but, but, but it's like, no, I want to, it's like, this makes more sense, right? This is, this is, Women who've made money, putting money back into the sport, investing in a women's sport, um, you know, that's something that we've lacked for such a long time, right, Um, is, you know, women putting money in, obviously having women that can put money um, in, so... I love that that we're seeing that. And also, you know, the story of the Longs reaching out to LA going, we want in. No, really, yeah. really, we want in. Um, and, and I think it's, it's the kind of momentum that's just going to continue following, you know, the 2019 Women's World Cup, the expansion that we've seen, you know, so it's like LA kind of feeding Kansas City. And I think this would just feed feed more like that.
1: I think so, too.
0: And I love that they want to build their own venue because um, mm-hmm. that's not an easy project. Uh, but it tells you that they're kind of in it for the long haul, right? Exactly. So what are your thoughts on where they're going to play uh, for the interim? Um, they announced it'll be at the T-Bones Ballpark, which is part of that destination entertainment neighborhood, what we'll call it, where Children's Mercy Park is, where, where Sporting KC plays. And you were telling me that there's a lot of other um, entertainment options out there. So what are your thoughts on T-Bone's ballpark, especially compared to Swopes and the, the other venues that FCKC played in in the early years?
1: Well, the the venues they played in early on were, they got the job done, but it wasn't quite this is where a professional team should be playing. And so I think that having it at the T-Bones Park for now is a good compromise. Um, You know, obviously, um, they're going to have good facilities because you're not going to have a baseball team with subpar conditions, all that. Um, So I think that in terms of for the team, uh, for the players, I think it's going to be nice. And like you were saying, it's part of a destination. Uh, Not only, like you said, is there – Children's Mercy Park. There, there's the Speedway. So you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be there because those are two big destinations. Um, right. There's a there's an outlet mall, which you know is good to walk around. There's a whole bunch of restaurants and fast food. There's sit down. There's fast food. There's um, just a lot of stuff in the area, which I think is something that wasn't always there um, in earlier venues. I was. Um, we and it's a known to- destination yes. right it- yep um that's where the national um you know obviously the national team plays at children's mercy park but it's the same area as where people who would come out of town would go to for the women's national team games so right it's kind of known by people
0: and and i think that's so important and you know when i, I was talking to a friend about the old Kansas City venues and kind of explain what you're saying. It's, it's like they, they got the job done, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they weren't extraordinarily large, so they weren't too expensive. Um, you did have, you know, some turf issues, some football lines issues, the move to Swopes Park, like, okay, you're on grass, right? It's It's, it's a nicer setup. But it was also like, Uh, And and this is a hard thing to really quantify sometimes, but the visual, when you watch those games, it looked like nothing was there, right? Because Mm -hmm. most of the fans are on the camera side. It's not a completely enclosed, you know, facility. It's basically like the championship field for a large soccer park, which would have tournaments right Um, and and you could see I I mean I I would guess by watching that that the locker rooms were not very close to the field
1: you had to walk through the parking lot which I think was okay for the early league Um, yeah I kind of call after the teams folded like basically after 2017 we kind of got into 2.0 of this league well for 1.0 it was okay that they walked through the parking lot it's like yeah because we
0: were just trying to get it off the ground Mm
1: mm-hmm but now I don't think that would fly. I I know some of the players didn't like it when it happened. Um, you know, not to name names, but there were you know maybe goalkeepers for um, national teams who hated it um, because they weren't popular or they didn't feel safe or you know all this sort of stuff. And um, and bottom line, it's it's not
0: it's not professional.
1: Uh, no, it's you, know, definitely you, you
0: wouldn't not. even want you wouldn't even want the referees having to walk out.
1: No, um, and
0: uh, among the public.
1: Yeah. And I mean, where the supporters stood, where we stood, it was great for us. We had so much fun, but it's not professional to have us literally five feet from the edge of the field. And who knows what somebody could do? You know, that's well, not and safe. I, It's not professional type stuff. Well,
0: I had, um, uh, Becca Moros came to my women's soccer conference last year, the weekend of the, the end of yourself final. And, um, she talked about a, a lot of different things, but one of the questions, uh, to her was, you know, what's, what's something that, you know, any club can do that really benefits not just the club, but also the players. And she described, um, how she loved what Vlad Nanovsky did at Kansas City because, and these were her words, he created the most professional environment in the least professional place. <laughs> and, and, but, but like her words were really in- inspiring because it it reminds you that you can still have a club that has all these professional facilities and professional looking things, but if they don't run things professionally, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Right? So you, you can't just have the look and you can't just act it. You kind of need both to go long-term, but she talked about how he always made sure he was the first to arrive at practice and the last to leave. You know, yep. that he met with every player after every game, if she had any minutes, you know, that he deliberately stayed out of any kind of locker room socializing so that no player would think, oh, Flacco likes that player better. Right. So, so yeah. that the, the locker room developed its, its own leaders. And it was fascinating listening to that and actually a video of it I, that, that I've put up on YouTube and, and I'll link it to, to the, this podcast where it's like, it really clarified for me why in those early years with not as many resources and a less professional environment than some other clubs that Vlach and those players were able to find the success that they did. Right. Yeah. Um you know, making the playoffs, boom, 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 13, 14, 15, sweeping the awards in 2013, winning the title in 2014 and 2015. Right. And having a really good run in 2016 at the last moment, despite like, I just remember like injuries, absences, just like that was just there. Okay. This is your balance out year that you can't keep winning, (laughs) you know, you know, every, every year. Um, But yeah. So it's like, I know for you being, you know, being there, it, it's such an amazing feeling, right? You're getting this team back. Yeah. What's interesting for me, where it's like, you know, I don't have a personal vested interest in Kansas City, but I was so excited when I heard the news because it's, it's like my, my first thought really was you guys. I was like, Oh, the blue crew are going to be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know um and of course and i was also thinking i was like "Ooh, and that's a close location for houston fans i remember i remember the very first kansas city in houston games we had two in 2014 and there were blue crew both times right it's it's not a short drive or anything but relative to a lot of the distances between <laughs> the resell clubs right like yeah. that's That's, that's a manageable distance. And one of my friends suggested uh, that we need to have a barbecue cup. um, That's basically, basically, I mean, you could have actual barbecue tasting, but it's basically a three team competition every season for the barbecue cup between North Carolina, Casey and, and Houston, much like MLS has developed over the years, different names for the regional rivalries right? You know, you know so, so like we need a little barbecue cup.
1: You know, North Carolina might have the advantage right now in terms of winning games, but I don't think they're going to be involved with the actual barbecue. Um, I think that's <laughs> going to be, uh, I, I mean, obviously Casey number one, but I think it's between Casey and Houston there. Full well, offense, what I, what North Carolina, full offense. Yeah. What,
0: what, what I love is that because obviously I've had KC and all play, uh, I've had barbecue in all three places. Um, There's such different styles, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think most of you go like, barbecue is all the same. Like, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, that's, I'm officially putting it out there in, in the universe that there needs to be some kind of funky trophy that's designed. And each year it goes to the winner of, You know, if you just look at the games between Kansas City, Houston, and North Carolina, and it's called the Barbecue Cup, and the winning team gets, I don't know, I guess you wouldn't want to give them barbecue from the other cities. But I guess they have have to send their barbecue to the other cities. How about that?
1: Or just like college football, have the really like cheap trophies that kind of are like, that doesn't make sense, but I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Something, something really strange. Yeah.
1: Well, last thoughts from you. The one other thing
0: I wanted to ask you about um, Danielle was there are so many players from the Kansas city areas who, who have already made an impact, you know, on a NWSL, you know, you look at what Haley Hanson, CC Kaiser, the Miramontes sisters, Katie McClure, Adriana France, Shea Groom. Um, I'm sure there's, there's others. And I know some aren't exactly Kansas City, but it, it, it's like it's such a strong area. Um, I think that's another thing that just really strengthens uh, Kansas City as a soccer city.
1: Mm-hmm. And you a lot know, of their- that is, you know, Hugh Williams. Um, he is really big on the youth soccer side. And you talk to, you know, all those players you just named and they'll talk about playing for Hugh.
0: So. And yeah, and, and like again, I mean, we're we're you and I are just oozing joy left and right. But but I, I love that it that it's Hugh back with the club. I love that we've got a club back in Kansas City, and and I love everything that I'm hearing about these new owners. So Danielle, congratulations! Thank um, you. You have just received the best Christmas present ever.
1: It really is after a really awful awful year. Um, this is a great way to end the year, you know.
0: Time for a little Jen's planning. This one's pretty short and sweet. Uh, what's, what's the difference between FIFA and FIFA Pro? Now, FIFA is the organization that is the ultimate governing body for all soccer associations playing associations in the world so beneath fifa there are the six confederations you know basically your six continents and beneath the confederations you have the associations for each country and then you go into all the country um the breakdown in each country so fifa is they organize the game right they organize the olympics they organize the world cup uh, you know, they set the rules, rather, they work with IFAB to set the rules. Um, they, FIFA has its own awards, as we know, coming up in the coming week. We will know who gets the FIFA Best Awards for 2020. Separate from that is FIFA Pro, which is the organization that represents any soccer players or footballers, rather, who are playing professionally in the world. So, FIFA Pro has their own best 11 men and women's um, and it's only voted on by the members of FIFA Pro. They also work to represent the interest of all professional footballers. Um, like the chat I had with Ann Peterson not long ago about FIFPRO's report on how women's football in particular was affected by COVID. Um, so just keep in mind, there are FIFA Pro awards and there's FIFA awards. They're different. The organizations are different uh but think of it as like equivalent to nwsl and the nwsl players association so hope that was helpful All right. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Rich Laverty, freelance soccer writer based in the UK, sometimes writes about NWSL, often writes about Women's Super League, Women's Champions League, Euro qualifying. And that's what I want to talk about, Rich, is everything that's happening over there. Um, I, I I mean, I have to admit I was just not prepared for the start of the round of thirty two for the women's champions League because of course all our all of our calendars are a little off this year, um, but I was like, oh wow, okay i need to uh I need to talk to somebody about women's champions league
2: yeah, it feels like um not that long ago since we were watching the final between leon and, and wolfsburg and it wasn't it was only i think it was end of august start it actually yeah. feels like it feels actually, you know, it feels like it was actually less than three months ago. I know three months is like strange for a champion, you know, the Champions League final yeah. should have been in May. Um, and the fact it was only three months ago, it feels like it should have been quite recent. It, it almost everything this year just feels like a really long time ago as soon as it happens. I know. I you know. Get, you get like one event and then you have a week and then you think oh, that last week like felt like a really long time because there's so much happening. Every single day, like it, it, in terms of like timings, this whole year is just so like everything just feels like a long time ago. Whether it was last month or ten months ago, everything just feels like ages away.
0: Well, with the, the U.S. woman playing the Netherlands, you know, at the end of November, it was strange to think like, wow, they haven't played since March eleventh, mm. and then that feels like a year or more. It's like well, we've like, not played at all. So at least
2: <laughs> you got one friendly in.
0: <laughs> I know, I so wanted to watch that uh, England-Germany match yeah. that was scheduled we, we've for October. We've,
2: we've not played since March 11th, and we had right. all of our friendlies cancelled. So, yeah, it's um, it's been a bit of a nightmare. So let's talk Champions League
0: to, to start off. So round of 32, you know, they already had the qualifying phase. Um, and, of course, this is, you know, you've got two legs for each round. Um, you know any surprises in these games? Any new entries that you know we should be keeping an eye on?
2: Uh, not really. I think most of the ga- the big games. You know, I think a couple of the unseeded teams did get results, but in terms of the big teams, you know, the Leons, the Wolfsburgs, you know, your English teams, etc. Uh, I think they'll all be pretty pleased. Leon obviously had a little bit of a scare against Juventus. Um, Juventus gave them a really good game, but Leon got the result in the end, and they're in a really good position to go through. I think, long term, intriguingly, I think the big thing everyone will be watching is can Leon be dethroned? You know, because they lost in the league last month to PSG. It was like their first league defeat in like five years. Um, you know, they looked. Not fragile, but they look like they could be got at against Juventus. You know, Juventus got twice, and you know, whilst they're a big name, you know they're not one of the big forces of women's football yet. Like you wouldn't expect them to knock Leon out. So I think, however far Leon get, if they end up facing a PSG again, which they usually do, um, I feel like Leon versus PSG happens all the time um or a Wolfsburg or a Chelsea or someone like that I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens but in terms of the others yeah PSG had a pretty comfortable win today so did Bayern Munich Rosengard like I think they won 7-0 yesterday um it's difficult for the newcomers you know to come in and, and make an impact I think the one that did obviously was Gothenburg the Swedish champions uh they're a strong team they took a really early lead against Manchester City yesterday. Man City, likely on, came from behind, got the win, and um, and have a good advantage for the second leg. So I don't think there's any shocks. I don't think there's going to be any shocks. I think all the top sides, as you would expect in the early rounds, are going to make their way through, and and then it gets interesting after that because you're going to start seeing it all get condensed, and and they're going to start drawing each other. So it'll, uh, yeah, I think it's a really competitive field and, and I really do think you don't just look at it now and go Leon are going to win the Champions League you know I, you won't be surprised if they do because they've got world-class players but I just don't think it's I think every year it's getting more difficult for them
0: and, and that's such a great thing to hear right because you know if you look back at results from the Women's Champions League in prior years you'll see that sometimes it's not till the semis or, or quarters that games are even competitive, mm. right? So it's, it's nice to look at this latest scores uh, from earlier this week, and, you know, most of them are competitive scores, you know, 2-0, two 2-1, two you know. Um, yeah.
2: Well, that's the beauty of knockout football. You know, you, you only need to have one bad game, you know, and suddenly you, the pressure's on you next week. You know, if Leon had lost yesterday, which there was, you know, for a long period of time, there was a chance they were going to. They were 2-1 down. You know, obviously they came back and won in the end, but it always just gives you that chance of thinking, hmm, you know, if they don't get it right next week, that's it. You're out. You know, you don't get a second chance. Um, and I think, you know, in Europe, we love knockout football. I think in the US, obviously like the biggest sport over there, NFL is like built around obviously knockouts, you know, with the playoffs and right. things like that. I right. think obviously, I think women's soccer is starting to embrace it now a little bit, obviously with the Challenge Cup this year. And I think they're keeping the Challenge Cup in place yes. um, for next yes. year. Like, it's so much fun because, you know, you can go, you can be North Carolina Courage and think, ah we're the best team, you know, and you can play Sky Blue or Houston or whoever, you know, but you have a bad game, you're out and that's it, you know. And I think that's great and that's why the Champions League is great and I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops in America because, like, we loved watching the Challenge Cup here this year. You know, we had such great access to watching it and um, if I'm right in thinking it will be the first time you guys have had a league and a cup, in the same season, in twenty twenty
0: one, yes, yes, that's that's the plan for twenty twenty one, and you're it getting, was
2: getting on board with knockout knockout soccer now. Which is, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the the you know that that is what the beauty of it is. You know, with the Champions League, you have a bad game, you know, and you either have one more to make up for it, or you, you you're out, and that is it. You know, your you, your hopes of winning a major trophy are over again for another year. So. You know, the, the big teams are going to make their way through this first round, you know, no problem. I think they'll all be in the next round. But after that, you know, when they start to get drawn against each other, some of them, you know, with teams like Rosengard probably being unseeded, a team like Atletico Madrid will be unseeded. And then after that, you know, I think once you get to the quarterfinals, it's a free-for-all. So, you know, it's fantastic. Like, it, it's it's great in terms of the uh, just the excitement, just the excitement you get, I think, from from knockout football.
0: Well, and also to throw in having a draw, right? Uh, because in mm-hmm. in regular season play, right, you play all your opponents the same number of times. So it's, it's yeah. as even as fair as it's going to be. But, you know, w- with Champions League, and like we saw with the Challenge Cup, where it's like, okay, this is just, you know, this is just who you, who you get to play. And this is, this is how it turns out. And you, you have to play the, the the schedule you get. There's no, Oh, everybody's going to play the exact same people. Right. So, Mm. you know, we, we, we see that in the world cup, you know, usually ends up that one side of the brackets a little easier than the other, but you, you still have to win all your games. Right. Um, yeah I, and and i'm so glad that that we saw such a great response to the challenge cup this summer not just from the fans but all the coaches were like no we need more game situations mm. like this because when you only have four teams making the playoffs which means there's only three knockout games every year yeah. it mean it means only a small pool of players are having
2: that i think are they opening, experience. The, opening the playoffs them, them yes. Them more teams, isn't there?
0: Yes. So now that there's going to be 12 teams, they're going to do six teams in the playoffs, which means that the number one and number two seed get a bye to to the semis, and and I think yeah. that's great because it also means that CBS will have more games to kind of push during you know, the end of the mm-hmm. fall season, the games that are really important. Um, so you don't have that like, woo, playoffs, oh, it's over.
2: <laughs> you know, so it's like you've got, got a little yeah. bit more well, I mean, you'll I'm generally have more football anyway as well, won't you, because you have a new team as well. So that always brings yes. about more games. Yes,
0: yes, and thankfully, an even number of teams. So yeah. we, won't, we won't have the awkward, well, these teams oh, no. have to play midweek yeah. and these don't. And then, you know, um, it's sounding like, 2022 will have an even number of teams as well. Like we know LA is on board for 2022 and then there's um, supposed to be another team. You know, we keep hearing rumblings about it. So I'm, I'm hoping 2022 feels like a long way away at the minute. I know, I know. And I keep confusing all of um, the years because since Olympics 2020 are pushed into 2021 and then euro got pushed into 2021 women's euro pushed into 2022 i'm like wait
2: what yeah is it? Like, we're hosting for the like you know well the first time in my like adult life it's not the first time we've hosted the tournament but like we're also looking forward to it next year and like obviously it will still happen but it's just been yeah it's gotta wait another year but um yeah, I think I think it's great that you're keeping the Challenge Cup around because, like I say, you look at this year, North Carolina like dominated again, and everyone was like, "Oh, they're just going to win," you know, because they won all four of their group games. Right? And then they play They play Portland, who finished bottom, didn't win a single game, and then they were out, and that was it, you know, because they had one bad game against Portland, and and that was it. And I think that is just the beauty of it. Okay, I think there was one goal in the quarterfinals. I think the other three games were all. Penalty shootouts, I think. Um, yes, yes. So I, I think the the temperature and the lack of preparation may have taken its toll on some players, but like you get shocks, you get shocks in knockout football. And I think, I hope the Challenge Cup is there to stay for you guys because I think it's a it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, and I like um, that you know soccer here is evolving um, so that we do have that fuller, more traditional schedule where you've got your. You know, your regular season games, your cup games, um, you know, other competitions, ideally, you know, down the line as CONCACAF gets stronger that, you know, we could see the development of a CONCACAF Women's Champions League, right? Just like mm-hmm. they have, you know, for, for the men. Of course, we need more um, more leagues for that, Um but I think one of the biggest challenges I've had this year in terms of record keeping in my almanac is, and even on the broadcast, trying to explain to people how, yeah, all these stats still count. I kept hearing people say, "Oh, it's not fair that these goals don't count." I'm like, no, they all count. They're just in a different category from the regular season, and it's it's just like if I look on the the Wikipedia page for any player that plays in Europe, you can see, you know. League goals, hmm. cup goals, yeah. champions league goals, all competition. So, so yeah, it, it's like I feel like we're I think all that, in benign- that, that,
2: yeah, that shows how much cups are still a pretty alien format to U.S. soccer fans.
0: Yeah, which is like, well, especially, especially on the women's side, right? Because yeah. the, the U.S. Open Cup for the men has come a long way, uh, you know, since the birth of, uh, of MLS, and it was, it was kind of a big, deal not to have it this year right that I think it was the second longest continuously run tournament in the world I think because it had like every year since 1904 or something like that you know so but but yeah so it's like it had built up that momentum but when you haven't had something on on the women's side and I have people say why don't we have something on the women's side it's like well if you don't have you know enough teams that are all playing at the same time, right? Like because our our lower leagues for the women's are the summer only kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, so yeah, I th- I, th- I think it is we're we're hitting kind of a point of maturity where like okay, soccer's getting stable enough and growing more that you can start seeing these other these other competitions um yeah and, and when when i think about like if if you look back at the, the calendars for the u.s women's national team say 20 years ago they played whenever right because they had no club club games to worry about mm. you know and and so now i i feel like since nwsl is, has launched um and we're starting to see more leagues um get stable get bigger you know like like Spain's league has come such a long way. As you know, the WSL has come such a long way, right? And so now we're getting to the point where, okay, U.S. and WSL and Australia's W League, they can't be partner leagues anymore, right? Mm. And and that's a good thing. That's a good thing that it's like you're not expecting a player, oh, play 12 games on this side of the world and then the other half of the year you'll be on the other side of the world playing for this club, right? That Trying to more... What's, what's yeah. the word for it? Just, just more stability. I
2: you wish know? I could go to the W League for a few months. I would take that a couple of months <laughs> in Australia, do a bit of work, a bit of sun, come home. Yeah. I'd yeah. I'd That's love to what go. Like, I mean, Australia is an incredible country. Like, I, I've been there before. It's an absolutely fantastic place. And yeah, it'd be great. Like someone said, oh, you know, Unfortunately, it's not possible because obviously the English season runs through the winter. But if someone said, like, you know, you can come and work, we've got a job opportunity in Australia. You want to come work with Melbourne City or Brisbane Raw or something for a few months, I'd, I'd be there. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's really like the cultural differences, like obviously between everything you've said and like what we experience here. Because like obviously everything for you guys or the perception anyway, here, is everything you guys do, especially on the women's side, because obviously the success of the U.S. Women's National Team is everything over there is about the U.S. Women's National Team. Like, everything else is secondary. Like, the league is secondary. Everything else is secondary. It's all about U.S., U.S. games. Like, I feel like your national team players, like, barely kick, and obviously this year a lot of them didn't anyway. A lot of them opted out of Challenge Cup and Fall Series. But, like, even during a full NWSL season, I just feel like they pop in, they play a few games, and then they're on camp again. And like here, like we love the league. Like we like even the FA Cup. I mean, the FA Cup last season's FA Cup got finished at the end of October, like yeah. four months after it should have done. Uh, I think we squeezed it in. The right. semi-finals were in the midweek, and the final was like on the Sunday. And but it was like we have to finish that. It's the FA Cup. Like, to that's right. like the most historic competition in the world. It was like, push everything else aside. We, like, cancelled a whole weekend of league games, get the FA Cup final in at Wembley. Even though it's behind closed doors, that has to be in. And, like, for us, that's, like, always the most important thing. Whereas for you guys, like, it just feels like it's all... Like, we, we obviously want England to do well. But, like, a lot of people would say club over country you know they want to watch their club international football is an income so many people here on the men or the women's side hate the international breaks like they just want to watch their club and that's it right. and with you guys right. it's like get the usa on you know get in camp <laughs> and like, i feel like you have a camp well, like, it, all the time well th- that's true
0: you you you've brought up a lot of good points and i want i want to respond to all of them because i feel it's, like we're way
2: off topic but it's still quite no
0: long, but, but so. no no that's i i love to go off topic um that
2: we could be there all night.
0: There, there's, there's a different, <laughs> there's different pockets of, of fans. I mean, um, there is a really hardcore Nibrisil fan base that mm. is frustrated that it's like, why is there a camp outside of a FIFA window and the U.S. players aren't with their clubs? Because everywhere in the world, they else in the world they'd be with with their clubs, right? You definitely have a fan base that has only seen. Um you know the u s women play as the u s women because really until you had um the the t v deals in the last couple of years it, it wasn't it wasn't something people were aware of not that it wasn't easy to watch n w s l if you knew it was on youtube right mm. but it it wasn't something that was widely promoted and of course it's a very saturated sports market here right yeah um, but I think this is something that's, that's been coming to a head for the last couple of years. And I think it's, it's still going to be a challenge because since for the longest time, all we had was the U.S. women's national team, right? Um, and I think there's an attitude at U.S. soccer, and, and I understand this, even though I don't agree with this, um, that it's like, hey, an advantage we have is that, you know, since we kind of control the league or support the league. We can demand that our players come into camp whenever we want, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll come they'll report to camp before a FIFA break starts. So then they lose an extra weekend with their clubs, right? Um, you know, we saw before the World Cup in 2019, all the U.S. players they were with their clubs for three weekends and then left in early May to prep. Uh, You know, for the World Cup where all the other internationals, they were there till late May and then they joined the World Cup. And it's, it's, it's kind of thing or like, it just doesn't seem right, right to me long term, right? It's, It's not fair to the NWSL. It's not fair to the fans of the NWSL. And I don't understand why FIFA wouldn't say, hey, U.S. soccer, you can't force the NWSL clubs <laughs> to to release their players or yeah. as we saw during Challenge Cup, some of the, yeah. the, the national team players who did play, like Sam Mewis, Crystal Dunn, Rose Lavelle, they had their minutes managed uh, oh. or rather dictated uh, by U.S. soccer and I, I think that's, that's something where, unlike the rest of the world where club soccer came first and the national teams grew out of that, you know, for the women um, and, and a little bit for the men here, the national team came first and they used that to, you know, they use that leverage to make a women's league. Right. So it, it is such a strange situation. And you still have people not understanding that it's like you can see these national teamers on their club teams every week. You can watch these games. There's, you know, it's available to watch, but I also think part of it is being a women's sport here and we're so used to the women's sports usually being um, individual sports, right? Like before soccer really took hold, it was like gymnastics or figure skating or swimming or something where it's, it's like, it's something that doesn't have any league play. And here's something that it's like, yeah, you can watch them in the Olympics, but you can also watch them week in, week out in their league, and and so it's yeah, we're we're still going through a transitional phase for that.
2: Mm. Yeah, try putting a top one hundred list together when half the U.S. national team have barely kicked a football since um, <laughs> February March. I'm getting pelters everywhere. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting because, like, obviously, what you said there about U.S. players sort of joining up for camps like earlier than other teams but I suppose what US soccer will argue is well we won the World Cup you know so our approach is you know working Um, but I think also what's interesting is like because obviously you have a summer league you know the NWSR runs from you know it runs on a calendar year it runs from the start of the year to the end of the year was obviously 90% of European leagues you know we run from August September to May and then we have a major tournament during the summer and obviously, right. it wasn't always like that in England. Like, we had a summer league until uh, 2017. But it was like, it was, you know, like, it was so stop start because all the international breaks are kind of, you know, geared around a winter season. You know, you have you sort of one just after Christmas when, you know, a lot of leagues have a winter break anyway. And then you, you only really have one in April. And then you've obviously got the summer. And then there's a couple towards the end of the year. Whereas for you, so for you guys, like as soon as your league is starting around April time, there's a FIFA window. And then right. they come back and then it's June and then there's a FIFA window and then you're going to have the Olympics. And like even last year, the World Cup, I sort of remember thinking like Rapino and, and Morgan and people like that. I just don't remember seeing them play hardly in the NWSL because I just think they were always with the US, they were always on national team camps. And like I just don't feel like the very top, you know, like some do. But still, there's a lot of U.S. players that don't really play a lot of NWSL football, even in a normal year, you know, before we had, you know, things like pandemics.
0: Right. Well, and the interesting thing is last year, um, compared to 2015, the national teamers actually spent a lot more time with their clubs because the league had stretched the season out into the fall as opposed to, 2015, mm-hmm. it, it the regular season was wrapped up by the end of August, so there just wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of season left after the World Cup. Um, so 2019, there was actually more, uh, more soccer to be played with the national teamers, especially post World Cup. They deliberately did that with the schedule, so if there was any momentum from it that they could capture that. So that's why we actually saw um, a lot of teams set club records for. Attendance because you had that momentum. Um, I mean, Pino injured most of the most of the time after coming back. I mean, they kind of they saved her up for the the end of the season playoffs push. Morgan, of course, was pregnant and was out, yeah. so we you know didn't come back till this year. But I, I that was something that I was tracking. It, it, it's like, are we going to see more of them? And because of how they changed the schedule. Um, you know, we got to see a little bit more of them. And I think with 2021 and adding the challenge cup in a way, I think that's, that's a way to kind of deal with that. Okay. The season's starting and here's the international break. Um, they're, you know, they're going to, I think it'll be, I think it'll be that, that break challenge cup and then the regular season starting like late May. Um, yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how yeah, how that on. how that plays out. It'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. And I know they haven't announced yet what they plan to do relative to the Olympic schedule. Like in 2016, they just shut down the league for three weeks to not mm-hmm. compete with it. But I think they've realized that they they can't do that without hurting the the post Olympic schedule because then you would have to cram in, you know, two to three games a week. So it's, you know, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And and of course, with games being in Japan, the time zone is so different that it's not like you would end up having games the same time as a game being played in the Olympics. So it's mm. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always, it's always a challenge. I mean, I've, I've seen this play out, you know, since I've been following the MLS, you know, for, for more than than 20 years where, you know, when we have a soccer season that runs spring to fall and all the international events, you know, are, 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 are summer focused. How do you deal with it? You know, Um, and, and, it would be wonderful if we could have it if we could have a fall to, to spring season. But the calendar's so saturated, and there's a lot of places in the U.S. where it's just not possible to play outdoor soccer in <laughs> <I like to laughs> December, January, February. Of, uh,
2: Sky blue and um, places like that in <laughs> January. But I, I think the other, like, interesting thing is that obviously has happened this year, and this has been obviously brought on by COVID. Is that obviously there are now players in England, like five of your biggest names, you know, and top players are in England. And like for several reasons, obviously, because, you know, U.S. soccer now, they can't have any jurisdiction over Lavelle's playing time or Mewis or Morgan or whoever now they're in England. Exactly. Like that's, that's down exactly. to the club. Like Manche- Manchester City are not going to sit back and go, uh, no, like if we want to play Rose Lavelle for 90 minutes, which she's not really done so far because she keeps getting injured. Um you know, they're going to say, no, you know, if we want to play Rose Lavelle for 90 minutes, we'll do it. But the other thing is they're going to go into next summer and the Olympics, you know, like you say, most of the time they'll have had a few of you know, the end of itself doesn't start till April, you know, by the time April comes around, they're going to have played September, October, November, December, January, February and March, like full on. Exactly. Like The English schedule is full on. You've got the league, You've got the Continental Cup. In January, the FA Cup will start. They're going to have national team camps. They're going to be flying back and forth. And like the sort of specific regime, I suppose, the US run to keep their players fit and fresh for major tournaments, with these five players, it's going to be really difficult because they're going to have played like a ton more games in a very different environment as well with no control from US soccer leading into the Olympics. And it's not like it's five nobody players that are going to be sat on the bench. There's five players that you think, you know, if they're fit, they're all starting, you know, for the US. So I think that is really interesting to see like where those five players are at, at the end of the season, like how fresh are they going to be? Or are they going to be, you know, actually will that affect the US team? Because maybe, you know, they're going to be fatigued. They're going to have a full season. Like, you know, Mewis has played pretty much every game for Man City so far because she was the first one to arrive like she was the one that hit the ground running Lavelle it's been a little bit stop start which I think probably a few people expected you know think we knew she was coming here with some injury issues I think she when she actually arrived she had a boot on um even before she trained so he and they is- already have a deep midfield right it's, yeah it's not like there exactly. were open and like- spots waiting for them but, the, you know, he's already getting a lot of stick from US fans saying, why is Rose Lavelle not playing? Well, you know, she's not really been fit, you know. And when she's played, she hasn't, like, set the world. Like, like Muis has been absolutely incredible, like, uh, unbelievable. So, like, I said on social media a while, but Muis is one of, like, Preston Heath, they score a lot of goals. They get a lot of assists because they're forward. So, like, you see them score and you, you see the clips on social media and things like that. So, like, it's not a surprise what they do. Whereas Muis is one of those players you probably don't appreciate her until you watch her up close because she doesn't score you know a lot of goals and she doesn't get the but you know she's box to box and right. unless you're watching it every week you probably don't see what she's good at and i watched her live in the fa cup semi final against arsenal um in october i was at the stadium and like oh my god like she was just Incredible. I don't think any of the US players that are hit, obviously Morgan, it's taken a while, understandably, for her to get up to speed, obviously coming back from, from pregnancy. Um, Heath's getting there. Like, Heath's been very good at times for Man United. I think Press is a little bit behind. Um, I think she's only started one game, I think, so far for Man United. And obviously now she's she's had this illness, which meant she couldn't play at the weekend. So... I think, I hope, you know, Press and Heath, if they start combining, you know, they'll be deadly for Man United. And I hope we get to see the best of Press because um, it's taken a little bit of time just for her to get up to speed. But Muis has just been, yeah, like I said, she's one of those players that when you start watching her regularly, she like she's like the epitome for us of the US team. Like, we look at you guys in Europe and go, like, they're so physically strong. They're players, like, they have this stature, you know, they're tall, they're stocky. Like all these European players, you look at players like Frank Kirby, you know, Jordan Nobbs, they're all about five foot. You know, they're technically right. very good. But then I mean, you've got Sam Mewis, who's like eight foot, you know, just <laughs> running to like, honestly, Again, I mean, Arsenal have got one of the best midfields in Europe. You know, they've got Leo Valti, they've got Daniel van der Donk, they've got Jordan Nobbs, they've got Kim Little. And honestly, that whole game, Sam Mewis made it look like she was playing against preschoolers. Like, it was just (laughs) – it's just, like – this is why, like, it was so funny at the World Cup last year, like, because the semi final, because I was working for a U.S. outlet, I was sat with, like, the U.S. journalists in the game. So I had my editor, Brandy, from our game sat next to me, and there was people like Grant Wall there and Meg Linaher, and, and like, I was talking to Brandy through the game, and, like, she was like, oh, you know, we've not been that good, and, you know, we don't know if we're going to win. Like, England have got a really good team – and I said, like, you have no idea what the perception is, do you, of like the rest of the world? Like, we just think you're going to turn up, you're going to play reasonably well, like, you don't even have to perform that well, and you'll win the game. And I said that to her, I said, look, whatever England do in this game, England could have the game of their lives, you're probably still going to win. And look, obviously, it was a weird game. England, bizarrely, despite not playing very well, could easily have gone through, you know, right. been through all that with VAR and penalties and things like that. But. And I just said, look, you've got Rose Lavelle. I think Lindsay Horan started and Julie Ertz in midfield. I think Mewis was actually on the bench. I don't think she even started. You know, that was like the ridiculousness of your depth. You could just take Sam Mewis out and put Lindsay Horan in. And obviously repeat right. came out and Kristen Press went in. And like, but they're all giants. You know, like Sam Mewis is like a big statue. Lindsay, even Alex Morgan. Like Alex Morgan is, a, you know, she's got great hold up play, and then obviously you've got players like Julie Ertz who just, you know, is a brick wall in midfield, and you've got Sauerbrunn and Dahlkemper and like Crystal Dunn who's like a machine. And I said that like the physicality, the the fitness of your team, and obviously we talk a lot about Don Scott and what she did for the US, <laughs> and we just like. Whatever we do, you will outfight us and you'll win because you're just stronger. You've got better players. You're a stronger team. And they were there, like, yeah, but you know, we didn't play that well against Spain, or you know, we didn't play that well against France. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. We look at you and just go, you win. You know what I mean? Whether you play well or not, you just keep winning. Whether you're, pl- you know, against France, yeah. everyone was like, oh, France. You know, France might actually beat them. You know, they were the host in front of their own fans. You know, they had Renard and Henri and Lasome. And U.S. just won. And, like, you know, it was pretty comfortable. Like, I think probably Spain, to be fair, was probably the toughest game that you guys had. And it was the same for the final. I was the, sat with the same people and they were going, oh, you know, Netherlands have got a really good team. You know, they've got one of the best strikers in the world. And I went, no, you'll win. You will win this game. And you did. And, like, it was easy. <laughs> it was an easy game. Like, Netherlands did not really offer much of a threat. And, like, it was so weird because, like, all the U.S. writers were like, yeah, we're not sure. You know, we don't know if we're going to win it. And everyone else was just sat there, like, "You're the best team in the world. What are you talking about? You just won two World <laughs> Cups back to back." And I don't, I just don't get it. Like the US, you don't. Maybe, have
0: maybe, maybe we're trying to pick up that that English pessimism.
2: Yeah, but we're pessimistic, rightly, because we never win anything. <laughs> you'd, you'd already won the previous World Cup in 2015. <laughs> And, like, everyone was saying, oh, well, US are going to win it again. There's no reason for you guys to be pessimistic. It's like the Olympics next year. Like, you know, we're on about Team GB here. And we talk a lot about Team GB because, obviously, it's a bit different. You know, it's going to be a combined team. And we don't even know who the manager's going to be yet. But we all just sit there and say, right, well, the US team hasn't really changed. They've still got Muis and they've still got Horan and they've still got Morgan and Press and Heath and Ertz and all those. And they've probably now even got a better manager than they had before and that's another thing that always made me laugh is like Jill Ellis was like the devil despite the fact that she won two world cups in a row and like every other country would kill for that (laughs) but like you probably have got an upgrade in like Vlatko for me is probably the best coach in the world like I think he's great for what he's done in the women's game at club level and I'm sure he'll take that on with the national team so we just sit here and think well the US will win the Olympics like I will not be shocked one bit if the US win the Olympics. Like we just expect that here.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's funny like that was expected here for a long time, and and I I I think maybe it's just the hedging our bets. Like you know, mm. at some at some point the
2: run has to end, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think your players have, like your players just seem to think like yeah, we're gonna like they have that. I'm not saying well, they're arrogant. Yeah. They just have that confidence, and I, and I love that. Like I think they just go into games. Like Rapino when she, you know, if when she scored the first goal against France, and like she just sort of did that, yeah, a yeah. celebration, yeah. like what, what you're going to do, you know, like kind of thing, and you can't stop it, you know. And it's funny because like people in America like think we're like really bitter and like biased against the USA in Europe. We're not. Like, I think the USA great. I love their team. I love their players. I love the league, and like. You know, I want to beat them, obviously. I want to. I want Team GB to win the Olympics and I wish we'd won the World Cup, but, you know, you can't help but admire them. But it just, it does tickle me, like this perception that the US have of, oh, we're not actually that great. Like, you know, we don't play very well. We just, and I saw it, you know, for years under Jill Ellis, people like, oh, Jill Ellis' tactics aren't great. Or, you know, she's picking the wrong team. And I, I sat there thinking, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what team she puts out. You're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and you always did win. Like, don't get me wrong. I sometimes looked at it and thought, yeah, that's a bit of a weird team or, like, why is she playing yeah. so-and-so in that position? But I also knew you would still – like, you could have probably put me and you in charge and the U.S. would have won that World Cup. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah when, when you have such incredible depth, you know, a huge pool of players to pull from, right? And, and in some ways I feel like that, you know, the, the, the U.S., because – Soccer was not the main male sport, right? Mm-hmm. Women's soccer got so much more support, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so, you, so you don't have you don't, yeah, you don't have this pressure of why you are playing
2: a, a man sport, you know. Mm. Um, the, the depth is ridiculous. Like, again, I think back to that semi final, I was sat in the press room before the game, and like, obviously, the team news comes and like, we were looking at our team news first, obviously, and you know, because. There was a big, you know, Karen Bartzi was injured and Carly Telford was playing in goal. And I think he made a few other changes, to be fair. I think Rachel Daly played. But, like, we looked at your team, and, like, I think the Haran for Mui's thing was not like, oh, I think they kind of rotated a little bit throughout the tournament. Everyone else was kind of set in stone. Like, the team hadn't really changed. You could pretty much name it, you know, 1-11 to 11 of what the team was going to be. But obviously the change was Rapino wasn't playing. And... The whole press room, like the whole English side of the press room was like, oh my God, Rapinoe, like, because she'd scored two against France, she'd scored two against Spain. And like, you do, you know, everyone's getting a bit excited because like for us, that was a big deal. Like, you know, you guys had won the, we'd never won anything. So like for us, it was like, if we can win this, if we can just win tonight, we've got every chance. Because obviously like France were out, Germany were out. So like, we fancied our chances if we could have beat the US and everyone was like, oh, Rapinoe's not playing. And I was sat there like, yeah, hang on a minute. Rapinoe's not playing, but... Um, have you that's seen only it one is?
1: player I'm <laughs> just like
2: They haven't just got Like a nobody To come in for her It's Kristen Press You know what I mean Like <laughs> This is like One of the yeah. most talented Players in the world And everyone's like Buzzing Because Rapino's not playing And I'm like Yeah but Kristen Press Is playing Like she's top class Like you know That's not going to be easy And then obviously She scored You know yes. So that justified my my point And I'm like You can't get excited Because Rapino's not playing You know They've got like A world class <laughs> player replacing her and like it's just ah, it's crazy like the depth you guys have is just and I think it'd be interesting obviously like to see how it does 'cause because this team like you know Ertz and Morgan and Rapino and, and players like that you know they've been the foundation of this team for like so long but like when they go like there's going to be like a lot of pressure now like you say we talked about Pugh earlier but like Ashley Sanchez, Sophia Smith like they've got so much to live up to like how can you how can you actually live up to what the US are doing at the minute like winning back-to-back World Cups so like I think there's going to come that transition point at some point you know with the US because like those players now that I just mentioned are not young you know they're not going to be around forever and yeah being like maybe even the next World Cup like I don't know what the US team will look like in three years you know the likes of Ertz, the likes of Rapino, the likes of you know Sauerbrunn and O'Hara, players that are in the thirties, you know, are they going to be there in three years' time? Yeah, you
0: know, what kind of uh, retirements will we see, you know, after the Olympics next summer? And also, you know, talking about you know the US having been able to over the years, you know, have so many camps and so much time with the with their with the players, like that that's gonna change, right? Um so I th- so I think like the core that's that's eventually gonna be broken up. I don't think US soccer will ever be able to establish a core quite like that again, not because the players aren't quality, but because yeah. you know it's 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 like we are getting into, you know, real league play and and just how the structure is changing. But I think one thing it's going to do is, as we've already seen it do somewhat, it's like deep in that pool for the U.S., right? Like there's no way Jessica McDonald would ever have been capped by the U.S. national team if it weren't for the NWSL, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's no way she would have made the World Cup roster if it weren't for... The North Carolina yeah. Courage. Right. You know, that's the know, so-
2: thing with, with national team football. Like, you can't just buy players. Like, you are reliant on what's obviously coming through the system. And obviously, you guys have a great college system anyway. So, but it'll be, you know, because even, you know, you think back to 2015, obviously, you had Abby Wambach and, you know, Christy Rampone and, you know, even back, you think the 99ers, you know, like Mia Hamm and and Brandy Chastain, and you think, well, how do you replace them? You know, what do you do after Wambach's gone? You know, what do you do after, after um, you know, rampon has gone and Hope Solo and players like that? And you still win the World Cup. So I think um, there'll always be players coming through for the US. And I think the rest of the world is just watching on and hoping they're not actually as good as the ones that are there now. Because like for England, like we have a really exciting, like, because we've actually benefited because like, Our youth system here is pretty poor, to be honest with you. And I I work with a couple of players at Sheffield United who are in the England youth teams and they're sort of in that under 19 system now. And they don't really have anywhere to go. We don't at the moment have like an under 21 team. So. There's no gap between under 19s and then going up to the first team. Which, unless you're like a top class player like a Lauren James or a Lauren Hemp that have just worked their way in because they're just pure talented players, there's nowhere for them to go. So, like over the last few years, a lot of our players have gone to America and gone to college. And you look at players now that have come back like Alessia Russo, players like Fisk, and like they've come like Alessia Russo. She looks like a US player. Like she's so tall, she's so stocky, she's so fit. Like she's got an unbelievable shot because she's powerful. And like you look at her and think she's like benefited, like not just mentally but physically from going to the US and doing what they do. And she's actually come back. I mean, she was always quite, she we was always quite like that anyway. And before she went to the US, but like she's a really, you look at her and think you would not want to play against her. Like she's powerful, like really powerful. But I think the others like Grace Fisk and Lotta Wobben Moore, you know, particularly Lotta and Alessia, you know, they were at UNC, like one of the top top colleges in the US. And they've come back and they look like, you know, physically they're ready. And I hope that helps England because, you know, now we've got Dawn Scott as well, obviously, which should take things, you know, on the fitness side up a notch because she will bring, obviously, what she did with the US, I'm sure, in the long term. But it was really interesting, actually, to see like players like Alessia come back and they actually like physically almost look like American players. And I think (laughs) that's like, obviously it works for you guys. So I'm not saying your players are not like technically gifted, like they are incredibly technically gifted, but I I still think the thing that sets the U S apart is they can physically outlast teams and, you know, physically almost bully teams because they're so strong. And I think because our youth system is actually quite weak, we've actually benefited somewhat from that because they go into America, and like you guys are developing our players for us
0: <laughs> well, and similarly, you know we, we sent over muis and and lave and and they're world-class <laughs> players already, you know. No, but um, how, about, how about the icing on the cake? We'll frame
2: it as the icing on the cake. I mean, you know, if there's one thing that COVID has gifted us, you know, it, 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 I'm not stupid. You know, those players would not be in I think Sam Kerr would be. Like, Sam Kerr obviously came over right. um, from Chicago before COVID. And I think Penelia Harder would be, you know, she obviously signed for big money uh, for Chelsea from Wolfsburg. But, yeah, you know it was just one after the other. Like the Mewis and Lavelle sort of thing happened and it that wasn't like a huge surprise because like Manchester City obviously brought Carly Lloyd over a few years ago and they've always been quite big on that sort of, you know, if we can get big players, you know, market, you know, from America, we're going to do it. It was it. like a two, it was like a two month loan. It was so short yeah, term. And then like, but then like Heath and Press happened and then you're like, uh, hang up because like we were always sort of told like there was no official ruling but like only a certain amount of like u.s players would ever come across at any one right. time and then like right. preston heath happened and you were like oh hang on a minute like you know how many and then i remember when morgan happened i actually got told about it like a few days before it actually got announced and i didn't believe it because i was just like no like come on she's not played for ages tottenham's like not one of the biggest women's teams yet i was like that can't happen. And then part of me thought, well, hang on a minute, it's 2020, like anything can happen this year. And yeah. then yeah. it happened. And I was just like... she needs the it's minutes, right? And she doesn't get them
1: here.
2: Yeah. And it was just like, well, hang on a minute. We've now got Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Tobin Heath, <laughs> Kristen Press, Alex Morgan, and like, all oh, you know, other players, you know, Denise O'Sullivan came over, obviously from North Carolina, and Rachel Daly came back, and Jess Fishlock's come back, you know, and it's great to see, but... <laughs> I think it'd be interesting, you know, down the line, does it open up, you know, you know, for other players to say, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'm not going to be controlled by US soccer. If I want to go to England or to France or to Spain or wherever, I'm going to do it. Well, and the next CBA for the
0: national team players um, is up at the end of 2021. So I'm sure that's going to be a big part of the discussion because, you know, there was a limit of how many players could play outside of Cell at any one time. But with COVID, basically they were told, you know, it's like, hey, whatever you need to do to get minutes, right? Because knowing that um, the fall series for Cell, which happened very kind of last minute, um, you know, you would still only get four games, right? So I I think it does make sense that, um, you know, Alex Morgan made the move to Tottenham, at least for a loan, where it's like, okay, she could get a good training environment for several more months and more minutes than she would have been able to get with... Orlando's four-game fall series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but I cannot, and I cannot tell you how many people I have had to talk down about. No, the league is not imploding. This is actually, this is actually real football. This is players go on loan. This is also COVID, where it's like, hey, these players need to stay in shape. And like you were saying about, it'll be really interesting to see what Mewis and Lavelle and Heath and Press look like when they've been playing the whole fall spring. You know, yeah. go, going into the olympics and and like orlando not getting to play in challenge cup well then that's why we saw more players on loan from their club than any other club because those players need minutes whether it's Um, to keep their contract to get a better contract to earn time with their national team to to recover from injury whatever you know it's like players got to play
2: yeah, I I just hope you know, and like I say, you know, I'm a huge fan of those players that have come over. I just hope we actually get to see the best of them because, like I said, there's only really like it was such difficult time to come over because obviously they were coming off the back of not really playing much. Like you know, they played, right. and you know, they're not with all the respect in the world. They're not the most like competitive games in the world like when you're playing Haiti or Honduras or Costa Rica or teams like that and then obviously she believes which you know they're competitive but they're you know they're still essentially friendly matches and teams rotate their squads and things like that so like all of them I think Muis did play Muis did play Challenge Cup and I think Lavelle played a very little bit of the fall series, but obviously Morgan was coming off the back of, you know, hardly any football, you know, because of a pregnancy pressing Heath, like you said earlier, hadn't played since the U S played on March the 11th. And then you're coming over and they're having to get you, you know, they had to quarantine. It was not like, they could just come in and, and train, you know, they had right. to go into quarantine and then, like even now, like Mewis, like I said, because she was the first one to come over. Like she got a preseason, she got some preseason friendlies, and she's really hit the ground running. Lavelle came over already injured. You know, it was a while yeah. until we actually saw her make a debut, and then she's been in and out. She's had a few knocks. Now she got injured again at the weekend, so we don't know how long she's going to be out for. And then at like United, you know, Heathen and, Heath and Press came over quite a bit later than Lavelle and Muir. like those two moves happened quite a bit before the United ones. So they came over even later. Like pre-season was done. Like by the time those two players came in, like the season had started and they had to quarantine and then you have to train. And like it took weeks, you know, to get up to speed. And like Heath is starting to start regularly now. She's up like every week. You sort of think, yeah, Heath's going to be in the starting team. Whereas Press, been, I think she's only started one game, I think so far for United. I think she's been on the bench a lot. She's had, you know, 20 minutes here, half an hour there. And now so she's had this setback. She's ill. Don't know how long she's going to be out for. Hopefully not very long. But, like, we're already at December. And, like, for us, that's, like, halfway through our season. You know, we'll be having a winter break in, like, a week and a half. And then we won't play again until January. And you're like, mm. You know, we've seen a lot of Mewis, but we haven't actually seen a lot of Lavelle. We haven't seen a lot of press. We've seen bits of Heath and obviously Morgan just working her way back in now as he scored her first goal at the weekend. I just hope they don't Or you know, I I don't know whether they will go back in the summer. I think that's another interesting aspect of it. You know, will they stay in England or will they go back? Because obviously with Heath and Press, you've got the whole thing of, well, they've been, you know, they they don't have their old club to go back to, you know, they've been picked up in the expansion draft and then it's, do they want to go there or do they get traded somewhere else? Or do they just think, no, stuff this, I'm going to stay in Manchester you know for Lavelle got traded as well you know I think people forget Lavelle now with OL Reigns so right you know a lot of them might think well hang on a minute you know like people this is another thing about cultural like, I, I think trades and like the drama like, I'm all for the drama I think it's fantastic like, I love seeing people but obviously on the human side I do understand you know it's a little bit weird players just get moved around the country and they don't really have much of a say in it but like, you know, that you know, Preston Heath might think, well, hang on a minute, you know, I don't want to play for that team, you know, so what do I do? You know, if they're not going to trade me, well, can I stay in England? You know, can I stay with Manchester yeah. United? And I think, like, a lot of people are thinking that now because there's obviously this story of, you know, well, they're going to go to Angel City in 2022. You know, that's the whole plan from, you know, the new team to say well, you know, we've, we've signed you up. with not really any expectation that you're going to play for us, but we can use you, you know, to get something nice off Angel City next year. And obviously, if that's the case, then they have to stay in England because Angel City obviously are not coming in until 2022. So I think, like, it's crazy because, like, you see these trades in America and you think they might not play out for a couple of years. Like, Caitlin Ford. Caitlin Ford's been picked up, like, and she's, like, flying in England. And, like, there's no you know, sign of her going back anytime soon, yet they've picked up her rights. And like, it's kind of like you're playing this big chess game where like, you're not actually going to exactly. find out what happens for a couple of years. So, well, I think there's every chance you might see, I think maybe Mewis would go back because obviously she's still with North Carolina and like, why would you not want to go back? Like the, they're the top team. You know, Lavelle obviously with OR Reign will be interesting to see how they do because I think they're undergoing a bit of a, you know, bit of a makeshift at the moment, like Ola Reign with new manager and, you know, new players and whatnot. But yeah, for, you know, Preston Heath, you're going to get to the end of the season. Are you going to want to go back to a team that, you know, you've never played for before, you've never been to the city, you know, and you had no say in it? So... I think from. They have, they have a little more say than it, than it seems like. As yeah, we've seen, I, I know. Yeah, I know, like Christy Holly said, like all the players had been like informed and things like that of what yeah. was going on, which is fine. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've seen players in the past, you know, turn down, you know, say, well, I, I don't want to be traded there. Like, can you trade me on somewhere else for this? And I still think people think that is the long game that they're going to trade them on to Angel City. And if they do do that, then, you know, Preston Heath probably will stay in England you know, at least for the first half of next season and then go back, you know, in January, February of 2022. But like, I think it's fascinating that you can make, like you make a transfer in England. It's done. It's there and then like, that's it. You have that player then in America, you might not have them for 18 months.
0: Yeah. It's, it's the wild west of of NWSL soccer. And um, of course, like you said, you and I could go for hours, but I think we're approaching an hour. So I think I think we'll probably stop with one hour. like we didn't um, talk about any any of the things that we planned to talk about. <laughs> we did we did talk about Champions League briefly. Yeah. This was a much more interesting conversation, I think, too, because especially for NWSL fans who are listeners, I think too, to to hear their perspective of how you see NWSL and how the English see the US national team and how the rest of the world sees the US national team. Like I I think it's it's still a very important conversation, especially as um
2: It's like improv. You know,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: Unscripted.
0: Yeah. And but they like there's so much that could change. We've got such an interesting future ahead of us when you know will we see more players from the national team go over to europe or will it be loans or you know and what yeah. happens when when the cba is renegotiated at the end of next year right it's yeah to me it's really fascinating and i think that is part and parcel with the hey why don't we see national teamers play with their clubs as much, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, fair from your perspective to say I don't feel like I see him very much. And, you know, so it's like I, I want to see the league get to a point where maybe we don't have allocated players anymore. Right. That that it's it's individual negotiations uh, mm. with national teamers. And we're not there yet. Right. Um, U.S. soccer is still a big, uh, you know, supportive part. Of NWSL, but i but i hope that th- that's where we're going. Well, Rich, thank you so much for spending an hour with me and and the mixzone listeners and and we will definitely do it again. You and I can do a traveling show around Europe post covid. <laughs> uh, yeah. just just stand up and you know, we we'll, we won't charge very much money obviously, but yeah, um, i don't i don't
2: think i got the best rep amongst US women's national team fans this week at the moment, so um... <laughs> <laughs> hope they like what i had to say and that i was very praiseworthy of their players and their national team um but yeah and uh, i don't think i'm top of their uh, christmas card list at the moment
0: <laughs> well well then we'll definitely tour europe we won't we won't tour
2: tour the us will tour, tour anywhere at the moment I'm not allowed I
1: can't
2: go I can't <laughs> leave true. my house can't go to the pub can't All do right, anything well-
0: Well, take care, and and hopefully you can have a safe trip to the pub sooner rather than later.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you too. You too. Thanks, Jen.
0: All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, uh, if you want to keep track of all of the recent player... Moves, signings, trades, contract updates. I have a great Google Sheet linked at the Woso Nerd Links page of KeeperNotes.com. You'll note that the Utah tab is now the Kansas City tab, as uh, the new Kansas City franchise will absorb all of the Utah contracts. Also, you definitely want to bookmark that page, the Woso Nerd Links. Lots of great stuff. All of the U.S. call-ups going back to early 2015. Entire history of the NWSL draft. Of course, links to buy the NWSL almanac. Pre-order the 2020 version. Get the Challenge cut booklet. Which l- leads me to my next point. Things for sale. It's holiday shopping season, right? Um, of course, in my world, it's always soccer shopping season. But I've started putting up posts on... WOSO gift ideas on KeeperNotes.com already did one about the jersey masks um, that I mentioned in the open doing an eBay charity auction for masks made out of Nike soccer jerseys Uh, also did a great link on WOSO t-shirts and I'll be adding more over the next two weeks before Christmas Uh, if you have any ideas send them to me Keeper at KeeperNotes.com last Be sure to mark your calendar. The 2021 NWSL Draft will be Wednesday, January 13th. It will stream live on Twitch starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We will have 10 teams picking 40 players. It's going to be pretty exciting to watch. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone. Got to thank everyone for listening. Anyone who subscribes, posts a comment, tweets about it, I always appreciate that. Got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Icarus FC. If you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates that you get from Adidas and Puma and Nike for your teams, you can check out the completely custom kit options at IcarusFC.com. And as always, many thanks to Sean and the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible.
1: But now she's everybody's good. Let's go.